All right. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Some of you may say snakes. Some of you may say spiders. Some of you may say scorpions. Some of you may say mice. Some of you may say rats. Some of you may say COVID, understandably. Some of you may say a politician, understandable, okay? Some of you, again, may say snakes. And then there's a number of you that probably would still say snakes, okay? Now, I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but one of my greatest fears, okay, is a snake, is a snake. My poor dog, last week, I took her out in the yard, and she's sniffing around and everything, and all of a sudden, there was this little snake that popped its head up, and I don't know who squealed louder, me or the dog. I immediately ran down, down into the back, grabbed a shovel, and of course, I couldn't find it. Uh, because we all know that the best snake is a? Thank you, all right? And I know there's some of you that are going, oh, the black snakes are great. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have you guys seen that, I, I, that, that little video? I don't know where this is. It's in Indonesia, I believe, something like that. And they're poking up at the ceiling. Have you guys seen this? And like, there's this den of like pythons that come out. My first thought when I saw that was plain and simple, what? Burn, the house down. Burn it down. Burn it down. That's it. That's it. Okay, good. We are all on the same page here. Okay, good. All right. Listen, we have a number of fears, and some of those things that I talked about, they're more like a phobia, Okay. Uh, something that we can, that, that is very temporary. It's something that can paralyze us. In fact, the word phobia means, and I'm going to have a whole bunch of stuff here, okay, is a specific thing or event in which we have an irrational fear or aversion towards, all right? I have a phobia that I didn't even realize, and I know I talked to you guys about this, that developed somewhere in my life of heights, uh, I think it's fair to say I have a phobia of snakes also, now, but it doesn't paralyze me. It moves me to grab a shovel, okay, and to kill that thing, all right? But some of us have some very real phobias, and when phobias, that fear of whatever it is, and it's an irrational fear, and it begins to affect the way that we live and move, then it starts becoming a problem. There is also this idea of just fear itself, all right? Fear, by definition, is a physical and emotional response. It's an emotional response to a real or perceived threat or, uh, towards our immediate safety, all right? Some of you fully understand that. There have been, and maybe you've ever been, uh, you've been robbed, or some of you, and I know there's a number of you that have seen actual combat, all right? There is a fear trigger that happens in that. And within fear, it is a momentary thing. And what is crazy, crazy is what happens physiologically when we do that fight or flight comes in. All right. You want to know what happens when fear? Fear is a natural thing that comes to us. When we are in a fearful situation, our body immediately kicks in. 
our adrenal system kicks in. And what's really cool about this is that our body is getting pumped full of epinephrine that, our, that we make internally, all right? We don't start, we can't see things as clearly. We start locking in on something. We don't hear things as well because, again, we're locking in. But as our adrenal system is kicking in, all of the blood is kind of going from our brain, from our torso, and it's going out towards our extremities because it is preparing us for one of two th- or three things, fight, freeze, or flight. And so our body is taking these things in. Now, fear can be a really good thing, all right? If you're not doing well in your job and your boss brings you in and say, listen, man, things got to get, you got to do something better here. You know what? There is that sense of fear. Oh, no, I could lose my job. It can be a great motivator to reexamine ourselves and go forward. It can be, fear can be fun. How many of you go on roller coasters? All right. I love some roller coasters, but again, this whole getting old thing changes everything because apparently my inner ears don't like roller coasters anymore and it just messes with me, all right? Uh, How many of you like those horrible, scary movies? You love to be fearful. Okay, there's two people. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Um, We'll have an invitation at the end. We'll pray, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Fear can also be really good to motivate you, say, if you're on 95 and you don't check your blind spot and you go to change a lane. Not that I've ever done that, okay? And there's that horn, and you're like, whoa! There's also, it can be a great motivation, say, if you're driving in Richmond because there's a lot of one-way streets and it's okay for you to, you know, every once in a while you're going to turn down the wrong way on a one-way street and you see all these cars coming at you and you're thinking, what are they doing? Yeah. Fear in itself is not bad. In fact, fear in the proper situation, in the proper environment, is actually built into us to protect us. But the problem comes is when then fear is a constant state within our life. We would call that primarily anxiety. Anxiety is a constant or fearful state. It's a state of being that is accompanied by feelings of unrest, dread, and worry. Now, I will tell you that as your pastoral counselor here, this is one of the things that I see most frequently, and I'll be honest with you, I think at some point in, for all of us, there is a sense of anxiety. I started this off and asked you, what scares you? What really, really scares you? And it could be that snake. It could be... Uh, remembering or being in combat, I cannot, I don't have a file folder in my brain of what it's like to move forward when people are shooting at you. I just don't understand that. And I applaud those of you that, are, that have done that, that have been forced to do that. But this anxiety state 
This is where we begin to really have some issues with us, within ourselves, this constant state of heightened awareness. Listen, when we are in a constant state of, uh, of awareness, that adrenal system that we have, that fight or flight system, it is working overtime. Maybe some of you can appreciate this. When I am anxious, when we are fearful, we're in that constant state of fearfulness, you can physically feel it. Can you not? You can feel it in your stomach. You can feel it in your body. You can feel your heartbeat in your throat. Because what's happening is your adrenal system is actually literally fighting against itself. You've got one side of it that is thrushing, uh, throwing all of this adrenaline into your system, and then the other part of the adrenal system is saying there's nothing to fight or flee or to freeze over. And so it's trying to calm down. And so literally what's happening is there's this conflict that's happening within you. When we stay in a constant state of fear and worry and dread, what's happening is we are taxing our entire body system. We are taxing our heart. We are taxing our other organs. We may be shaking. We may be fidgety. And the beautiful thing is with this, the more anxious, the more fearful, the more I stay in that state, I can't hear or see anything clearly. And then, and then, you ready for this? If I'm really in a state of fear and anxiety with a loved one, this thing begins to start spouting off, all right? So this anxiety or this state of fear is so prevalent that do you know that in Scripture, if you just do a quick search for fear in the Bible, I I just did this on, I think it was uh, Bible Gateway. There are many as 380 five mentions of fear. Now that has nothing to do about being not being afraid or being strong and courageous. Just the word fear over 385 times in scripture. It is so prevalent that even Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in chapter six, he said, who... Who, or better yet, can anyone by your worrying at a single moment to your life? That is a rhetorical question that Jesus asks. And the answer to we know this here is an absolute no. Worrying actually robs us of life. This fear robs us of life. In the Old Testament, There are two primary words for fear. But there's also this one about this constant state of fear, this constant state of uh, fight or flight. And it's called mora. And it literally means to melt, to dissolve, or to be liquefied. Think about that for a second. When I am in a constant state of fear, I am melting. I am literally 
melting within me. I am losing my strength. I'm losing my ability to reason and to think through things. In the New Testament, there's three primary words that talk about fear. The first one is phobos. We get the word phobia. And this has an idea of, again, something immediate. But then there's also this word, deliaho. Deliaho means to be tearful, or, or, or uh, excuse me, to be um, uh, timid or fearful. And so if we're in this constant state of fear, we're beginning to dissolve. We are starting to lose our strength. We're start, we are no longer working through our own intellect and the intellect that God has poured into us, and we're working off of emotion. We are becoming liquefied. I become a puddle. And the last word that is often used, and it was actually used in that passage from Matthew 6, is merimanao. And merimanao is this idea of worry and anxiety. The fear of what might happen. It is important that we understand these things because the effects of this are mind-boggling. Our stress levels go up. We're all fidgety. We lose sleep. How many of you, my, when I am worrying about something, my internal alarm clock goes off at 3.12? Am I the only one that has a specific time Mine is 312. There are times where I will wake up and I'm like, oh, no. And I can say, it's 312. And I'll look over and grab the phone off the nightstand. Yep, 312 it is. There have even been times where I have gotten up and I, there was one morning I drove down to Williamsburg because there was no going to sleep. I was wide awake, and my brain is racing, and I'm in that fight-or-flight mode, and I'm becoming less and less effective in everything I'm doing. I know I'm not the only one because I meet with some of you people, okay? I know I'm not the only one. But that's crazy. There, I've gone to Williamsburg. I've driven almost to Charlottesville. I've put so many miles on my car because I'm thinking. And one of the things I'll do is I'll put worship music on. Sometimes I'll just think in silence and just drive. And by the way, at 3.30 in the morning, it's the only time on 95 where there's nobody out there. Yeah, except for those stupid trucks. Good Lord. Okay, yeah. I never, I never go on 81, though, okay? I never go on 81. Yeah. All right, Kevin, I'm sorry. I know you're a truck driver, right? So this constant state of fear affects our blood pressure. It, it messes with our weight. We can gain weight. We can lose weight. Uh, We'll have physical pains. We've got headaches. We've got ulcers. We've got the heart palpitations. That, that's always exciting when you're sitting there and all of a sudden you can feel your heart right here. But there are other things that happen here. There's a spiritual aspect to this constant state of fear that so many of us can live in. It robs us of life. 
absolutely can rob us of life. It will rob us of the present because we are so caught up in the what could or might happen that we lose the immediacy of today. We no longer can see good because we're focused on the negative. We no longer can really even see God. The more fear there is within us, the more we are pushing God and we are pushing the Holy Spirit out of us. We don't listen well anymore. Just like couples, and I know I've said this before, couples, when you all start arguing about something, everybody seems to have an eye watch, though. I don't want that electronic leash, all right? But that eye watch is really good or a Fitbit. If you and your spouse are arguing, check your heart rate. If it's above 110 beats a minute, you're done. You're done. You can't see things well. You can't hear things well. You're definitely not going to receive anything. And the adrenaline is flowing to all the extremities. And you're going, come on, baby, let's go. Let's go. There's no reason. There's no reasoning when we get like this. But we're in this constant state of fear. We cannot see good. We cannot see God. We certainly cannot hear God. And it robs us of the voice to pray and to worship. I read this earlier this week that faith overcomes fear. And if faith overcomes fear, then I would say worship is the playlist of faith. Worship is the playlist of faith that begins to start dissipating and putting that fear into perspective. Now, I've got a few passages here I'm going to share with you about what Scripture says in regards to fear. In fact, 1 John 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Next one here. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. These are, these are foundational scriptures that as we are struggling with this, I'm going to ask you to start looking at these and begin to start allowing them to permeate past the fear and get into your reason. Get into this part of your brain, not the adrenal system, not the lizard brain, as they said. Next one. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Psalm 34, 4. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. Next one. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Now, I want to challenge you. These are four, four scriptures. There are hundreds of these. I could give you a list, but the way that you are going to really begin to start allowing this to set in is for you to begin to start using your own intellect and do your own research. There are so many tools out online that you can do. You can do a simple Google search of fear in the Bible and you will find 
all of these different scriptures. Now, some of them have legitimate fear in a fearful situation. It'll talk about the fear of the Lord also, which brings wisdom, all right? But there is also a number of passages that talk about this constant state of fear. Isaiah 41.10 reads this, so do not fear. Now, this is to us. I want you to hear this. It's okay to put your name in this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my right hand, my righteous right hand, which is a metaphor for a place of incredible strength. There are three things, real quick, that I want you to see in this. First of all, there is the idea that there is possession here. That God is our God. God is your God. His presence is constantly with us. The second one is when God says, I'm with you, but I said, I am your God. And this is all about possession. Who owns you? And I'm okay to be owned by the great God. He is the one that made me. He is the one that speaks life to me. He is the one that breathes life into me. He is the God that breathes life into everything. In fact, last of all, in just this one passage, Isaiah 41.10, when he says, I will strengthen and uphold you, that he is our protection. See, the problem with fear and this constant state of fear is that we're afraid that something's gonna happen to us or to someone else. We feel as though we are unprotected. See, our God walks with us. Our God is around us, and our God is in us. There are three primary places where fear can come from. First one is our conditioning. Some of us have grown up in, a, in an environment where maybe a parent or a spouse is in this constant state of fear. I was speaking with a lady, this was a number of years ago, and she talked about how she, she was gonna be going on a flight just down to Florida. And she was terrified. She's like, I've never been on an airplane. I'm terrified of airplanes. And we started talking about this. And I'm like, if you've never been on an airplane, how are you fearful of an airplane? She goes, well, my mom is fearful of airplanes. And apparently they fall out of the sky all the time. Um, just going right along and then just fall out of the sky. And, and millions of people every year die in airplane clashes. And I'm like, well, that's not true. But she was conditioned to be fearful. She went on her Florida trip and she came back. She goes, not only did I love flying, but I loved the takeoff and the landing, the exhilaration of getting kind of pushed back in your seat at the takeoff part. She goes, oh, I love flying. I don't know why I was so afraid of it. Some of us grew up in households where we were always on eggshells. And so we're constantly 
on guard for what can happen. Moms and dads, we can, by overprotecting our children, you ready for this? We can condition them to be in a constant state of fear. Now, I'm not saying we don't keep and, and we're not mindful of what's around us. But if we begin to live in a constant state of fear, we are allowing the lies and the enemy to win. So how many of you have been conditioned in this? PTSD often is an example of the conditioning. I've spent weeks, months, a number of tours where I'm in heightened awareness of what's going on. And it's very difficult to turn that switch off. The second way that uh, often this constant state of fear happens is in our concealing. We know this one. How many of you have something that you feel that if ever got put out into the light, everyone would abandon you? In recovery circles, we have this pithy little saying. There's a number of them, but I love this one. We are only as sick as our secrets. See, we're concerned when we start concealing our sins, when we start concealing our thoughts, when we start concealing what we're doing, we think that we can hide from God and we think that we can hide from others what's really happening in here. And the more we conceal, the more fearful we get because often what we do, we keep going down the road. James chapter 5 talks about how we find healing when we confess our sins to God or we find, excuse me, forgiveness when we confess our sins to God, but we find healing when we share it with someone else. Now, that doesn't mean that my deepest, darkest secret, I go rent that light-up billboard on 610 and put my name and a picture next to it with a cell phone number. Hey, yeah. It means that I'm going to sit with somebody who is trustworthy enough. I'm going to admit to God himself, God, you know what I've done. My goodness, you were there. You've seen it. I'm going to admit to myself, I am capable of doing this. Not only capable, I did it. And then I'm going to admit to someone else. Because as Jesus says, as we bring it into the light, then it loses its power. John 3, 17, 18 says that people don't like the light. Because the reality is, if I put it in the light, you're going to know me. And I don't want to be known but I don't want the weight of this anymore. So that's a catch-22. Put it in the light and diffuse it. Another common way that this constant state of fear comes into us is this idea of controlling. Now, I just stepped on a number of people's feet right there. How many of us love to control situations? See, if I can control the situation, then guess what? I control the 
the outcome. If I can control my children, they'll get straight A's. If I can control my children and how much they work out and grind, though they're only five years old and in T-ball, I can get him a scholarship someplace. If I can control my spouse, then I know that they will love me. See, the more we control, and you've heard me say this before, think about picking up wet sand in your hands. I can hold wet sand in my hands like this almost all day long. But as soon as I start gripping it, the tighter I grip it, the quicker it flies out of my hands. And the quicker it flies out of my hands, the less control I have. And if I can't control people or events, I certainly cannot control the outcome. I'm going to give you three things to start working on this. I want you to read with me Psalm 139. Put this up here. I want you to hear and allow what God is saying, what the psalmist is saying, what he is recognizing as he is verbalizing these words, as he's writing these words to his God. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you see this? This is someone who is beginning to understand who they are in God. That they're not a mistake. That they have nothing to be fearful of because they are perfectly and wonderfully made in the image of God. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, he's, he is beginning to understand. He's not living off of emotion. He's living off intellect. He's living off what he can see. He's living off what he is literally experiencing with God. He is opening his eyes to see God. He's opening his ears to hear God. And most of all, he's opening up his heart to receive God. For you, um, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. What a beautiful idea. God, you've known me since before time. I can't comprehend that in my mind. God has known you since before time. And he loves you and he's well pleased with you. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The psalmist goes on and he says this, search me, God. You all have heard this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, you know my heart. 
search me, help me see it, because clearly this fear, whatever it is that it's holding on to me, that I am not letting go of, that I'm constantly living in this, God, show it to me, reveal the blind spot to me. And so as he does this, there are three things that I want you to see out of this. The first thing, when I'm praying before God, when I'm laying down before God, when I'm saying I've had enough of this constant state of fear, I'm tired of being shaking, I'm tired of the feeling in my stomach, I'm tired of 3.12 a.m. God, name my fear. Name it. Don't just say I'm anxious. Don't say I'm fearful. What is it? What is your fear? What is your constant state of fear? Are you afraid that something's gonna happen to your child? Name it. I don't want to lose my child. I don't want to lose my spouse. I will tell you, as an extrovert, one of the worst things that ever happened to me is put me in solitary confinement. But it is one of my fears that I will be alone. Another great fear, and I know I'm not here, I, I'm not alone in this, is this fear of that I am not lovable. And if I'm not lovable, then that means I am not loved. But what scripture tells me is that you are indeed loved. So we need to name whatever that fear is. Don't be vague about it. Put it down on paper. Write it out. Ask God. If you can't name it, then ask him, God, give me the words. Give me the vocabulary. Identify this blind spot in me because I am not going to live like this anymore. I am not going to allow the enemy to continue to hold me back. I'm tired of being a puddle. I'm tired of melting down. I'm tired of whenever I'm in front of somebody, I wilt. God, I don't have a spirit of fear and timidity. I have your spirit that is in me, that strengthens me, that allows me to stand upright, not in an arrogant way, but in a confident way that I am fearfully and wonderfully made and I'm an image bearer of God and God loves me even in my messes. Name it. Second of all, claim it. Claim it. When God reveals it to you, okay. All right, God, I'm going to own this. And you and I, God, are going to begin to start working through this. I am no longer gonna try to do this all on my own power because one of the things I've noticed is the more that I work on it, it's the wet sand. The more that I work on it, the more I hold on to it, the harder I do, the quicker it runs out of my hand. So claim your weaknesses. Claim your fears. After you've named them, claim them. Okay, it's mine. It's mine to do something with. God, I am asking you that we will partner and you've given me the Holy Spirit so that I can live life last of all. Just own it. Own it. Name it. Claim it. Own it. What is yours to own? God, I 
am fearful. I'm fearful over things that I have zero control over. And what I do have control over is what you have given me, and that is my life. What I think and what I do, those are the things that I need to own. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out. And I want you to hear this. We normally... We normally only read this psalm at funerals. And right away, you guys know exactly where I'm going, don't you? Psalm 23. It's going to be up here. But I want you to hear these words. Because as we're naming it, and as we're claiming it, and as we're owning the identity that God is giving us, I want you to hear the psalmist who understands what fear and anxiety is, (coughs) but also how he is partnering with God to find comfort and healing in it. David writes these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. See, we are his sheep. You are a sheep. And that's okay. He, God, makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. How many of y'all need refreshment? The constant state of fear that you've lived in, it's exhausting. I need just a cool drink of water in this desert that I'm in right now that I have placed myself in. God, I know that you will guide me along the right paths for your name's sake. See, God wants us to be whole and strong and courageous. Because when we are like that, we're no longer the puddle, but we are a great representation of who he is. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, and folks, there will be fear. This life is fearful because there's a number of things we just don't know. But if I'm going to walk through whatever those dark valleys are, God, I am trusting that you are with me and that you will be with me. And if you're with me, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff comfort me. Do you see again that protection? You prepare a cup. Excuse me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God is providing for us. When we're afraid that we may go without, God will always provide. He'll provide our needs, not necessarily our wants, but our needs. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I, I, we, you, get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
You see that? That's presence not only now of God in our life, but presence forever. Now, this is where we land the plane. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this. I'm the good shepherd. I am. Ego a me. I am the good shepherd. And as a good shepherd, not only do I provide for you, but I lay down my life for you. If I lay down my life for you, and if I have overcome the grave and life, then what is there to fear? So my question for you, in your fear, in your constant state of fear, who is your shepherd? See, when I'm the shepherd, man, I will mess things up big time. Have you guys seen that video of the sheep that's stuck in a crack in the ground? And the shepherd comes and pulls him out, and the sheep goes running down and jumps to jump over the crack and lands right back in the crack again? I laugh so hard because I'm like, I am that sheep. Bah. But the shepherd came and still got the sheep out of its own imposed hole. I know many of you are fearful. I have fears. But what I'm attempting to do is to allow Jesus and take him at his word and read his scripture to develop and build my faith because faith will overcome my fear. And one of the greatest ways to overcome those fears is to have a relationship and to enter into worship the playlist of my faith and begin to say, God, you are my God. If you're my God, who, what can I fear? And the answer is, you ready? Nothing. Father God, I come to you this morning and I thank you so much for this church family. I thank you most importantly for your word. Thank you for loving us so much. That even in our fear, even in our doubt, in our anxiety, you are with us. God, I am asking that you would be our good shepherd. And I know that there's someone here today who believes that they don't deserve a good shepherd. 
and they're fearful that you would reject them. But God, may they hear you speak to their heart today and that it's just the opposite. You do not reject them. In fact, you are calling them to be with you so that you may strengthen them and that you may make them whole and that they may have life not only now, but life eternal with you. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now listen, I know that there are some of you, there's somebody that has heard my voice today that desperately is asking for Jesus to be their shepherd. I will let you know right now, our prayer team is gonna be up here. We're gonna sing a song in just a moment. And I'm gonna ask that you would please come and meet with one of our prayer team members. May we talk with you. May we walk with you. We don't want to embarrass you. We want to embrace you and to begin this walk with Jesus Christ. And in doing so, allow fear to fade to the background where it belongs. I know in Fredericksburg, They have their prayer team there as well. And for those of you that are online, we're going to put up a little link there. And all you got to do is just click on that. And one of us will be in contact with you. Again, we don't want to embarrass anybody. We want to embrace you. So, what's your fear? Name it. Claim it. And own the identity that God has given you that you are his child, whom he loves, and he's well pleased with you.